let's be clear we don't want to trade on price mm. we, we want to trade on quality however if by being so efficient we don't have to put our prices up as much as anybody else and remain profitable when i talk about don't trade on price don't trade on price at the expense of profit mm. right but if we can be more efficient and more profitable and therefore not charge quite as much as anybody else, then suddenly rather than we put our prices up and lost volume, we may improve our efficiency and gain volume. Welcome to the Biology of Business. I'm Kate Markland. And again, we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Richard Stone. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon, Kate. Hope you're well. I'm very, very well, thank you. I'm very well. So today, Richard, we're going to talk about this thorny subject of inflation. Mm -hmm. Which we're all suffering. And I think what we're keen to mention at the beginning is neither of us are economists. We're just going to have a conversation about what is very topical at yeah. the time. And what to do about it. And what to do about it. So, Richard, what is inflation? What is inflation? What is inflation is a period of continually increasing costs and prices driven by one of many different things. Okay, I think, you know, we can dive right into it. I don't think all of the inflation we're seeing today, well, we know it's not, is what we recognise from the past. So generally, generally, inflation gets driven by demand, by people wanting and wanting and wanting and being able to purchase more and more and more things often driven by the availability of cheap credit which is why we have the knee-jerk reaction or perhaps understandable reaction of central banks to put up interest rates to deter us from loading up our credit cards on all this consumer stuff that we buy what bothers me about our current inflation although there is an element of that driven by the largesse from the government or governments during the period of non-working that we went through. A lot of the inflation we're suffering from is what you would call supply side inflation, as I understand it, being our energy prices have gone through the roof and therefore food prices are going up and therefore building materials have gone up and up and up. And this is driven by the terrible events that are happening in Eastern Europe and some what appear to be more and more what we would call, from our perspective, bad players taking advantage of that. And so raw materials become more and more expensive, so creating real difficulty for people and difficulty personally, I think, exacerbated now by central banks doing what they always do and putting interest rates up. So I, I'm sort of sitting here going, well, how's that going to help? People already are struggling with the cost of, let us say, heating, although that's another rather terrifying discussion about how that's priced. So let's keep it at petrol, right? So petrol's gone up. That's causing people trouble. So let's make their mortgage more expensive. Now, I, I understand, well... John Smith's rushing around with his credit card, buying loads of rubbish, and, and, and we need to curb his spending. Let's put his mortgage up. I get that. That works. But 
John can't actually afford to fill his car to go to work. Let's put his mortgage up. I'm not sure that that works just as well. And smacks to me, not that I have the answer in any way, shape or form, it smacks to me that the people running the asylum don't have the answer either. And I know there are bigger macroeconomic problems, like let's defend the currency. I mean, as an example, I've suffered much worse inflation than you have, okay? because I live out here in Switzerland and the pound's crashed. So forget the prices going up. I mean, for me, it's it's gone up massively because most of my earnings are in sterling and, and I'm paying in francs. So I suppose for me, I want the UK government to ram interest rates up and defend sterling. But that's a fairly selfish perspective. For most people, I don't understand how it's curbing inflation when they have no choice whether or not to fill that car at that price, as opposed to demand-led, which is far more more choice. And I know I've, I've spoken to you about this before. I also think there's an element, there's a there's a psychological element to inflation. And, you know, it's it's that thing where we should really dare not speak its name because it's like it, it, it's a it's a it's a it's herd behavior. The moment the media starts spouting inflation, well then there's inflation. Because if you think that there's inflation and I think there's inflation, then you start looking for pay rises or putting your prices up because you don't want to be the one caught out. And the moment you start doing that, hello, there's inflation. And I think it's then very hard to get away from because it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, again, our dear media have a lot to a lot to answer for because actually it should almost be and do not speak its name. Rather like the rain, don't say the R word. Yeah, don't say the R word because because the moment you say it's there, it's the moment it's in people's heads, it's there, and everybody's looking to protect themselves. You know, self interest drives everything, and and I, I've I, this is, we're digressing into a little bit of philosophy, but I've been thinking about it a lot, and and it is incredibly cynical perspective. But even altruism is actually driven by self interest because the altruist feels good about it and and i found it quite a liberation to realize that everybody even how good however good you think you are as a person you're still being driven by self-interest so self-interest drives everything that's probably not a not an incredibly novel thought but therefore in a period of there's going to be we always going to be inflation well everybody's going to go out to protect them and theirs and then there's inflation and then it's everywhere, you know, and, and almost if in an unbelievable world where everybody went, no, I'm not going to put my prices up, then there wouldn't be inflation. Yes, yeah. the petrol might cost more because the raw material has cost more. But if we all as a sort of organism as a whole went, no. Just dug our heels in and refused to yeah. change our pricing. It wouldn't be there. Yes. But it is there because we're never going to do that. Because we participate in and the... And we fear, and we, we fear, and we go, oh, my God, I've got to protect my position, I've got to protect my family. I mean, there's nothing, I'm not intending that to be critical of anybody, mm. you know. Now, there are elements of inflation that are a good thing. You know, if we go back to our, our sort of property world, if you if you buy an asset with debt and that asset inflates, you inflate away your debt. I mean, let it not be ever thought that the government may do that on purpose to inflate away their debt. Yes. 
but you know you buy your house you buy it at a 75 percent mortgage it doubles in value you've got a 37 and a half percent mortgage loan to value you've just improved your life if you've bought loads of houses and they all double and you sell a few of them you have no debt anymore that's easy providing you can cash flow that increase in interest rate on the mortgage payment absolutely not interest rate necessarily yes but the inflation Mm. right will inflate away the debt yes as long as it doesn't kill you in your servicing cost so there are some areas of life where you're looking for inflation right so is it a good thing or a bad thing i mean technically i heard a great description of it that it's it's a bit like a sponge so the more money the more money you flood out yeah it gets sucked up by prices and I don't know, you know, again, I've been absolutely shocked when every time I look at the United States or look at anything in the United States now, because, you know, it's a long time ago. But when I was a young man and I would go to the United States, it was a cheap place to go. Everything was such good value and just fabulous. Right. And it isn't anymore. It isn't. And so, you know, we we went there five years ago and I was absolutely shocked at the pricing of everything, even in dollars and then even converted. So, you know, so it's like if you're earning in dollars, that's expensive. Mm. If you're not earning in dollars, it was even more expensive Mm. kind of thing. And there are a couple of perfect examples. I, I have a very, very good friend, a very old friend. He's not very old. We've been friends for a very long time out there and we bought our both bought our first houses at the same time he bought one in portland oregon and i bought a tiny flat in london and at the time i think they were around about the same price cost sorry really so i've got a tiny one bedroom flat in london he's got a three bedroom attached house in portland right now that house is would cost twice as much as the same flat in london mm-hmm which is interesting. And that's Portland. And it's not New York, right? So that was interesting. And then very topically, looking at the skiing thing. So if we bore our audience for a moment about skiing, I don't know if you had a look, but Mammoth Mountain in California, I saw a video dated the 23rd of March and they still got 10 metres of snow, metres of snow. A day ticket in Mammoth Mountain is $220. Per day? Per day. Here it's 70 francs, so which I thought was expensive until I saw that, you know, so, so, it, and, and what's happened. So why is, why is Richard wobbling on about this? Because in America, they've been printing money like mad for years and years and years and years. There's more and more and more and more and more money. You know, and that's not a technical, I know, you know, it's not a technical, what kind of money, but there is a lot of money floating about. And so the sponge analogy sucks it all up. But the mm. prices go up. And then that's why we're seeing if you come in from outside of that environment, just like, whoa, what's going on here? So all this printing of money has created funding, which has created prices just go up. So that's sort of demand-led inflation. Have some sympathy with the banks. But the supply-side inflation that we're seeing, nobody can do anything about. And I certainly don't know what the answers are, because if, if I did, I'd be probably doing a different job. You know. So, Richard, how can it be that the banks can just hit print? How can it be that they can just hit, seemingly hit print and print how many billions of pounds or dollars that they 
have decided upon this week, this year, this month, this quarter? Technically or practically? Practically. Okay. Practically, there's no such thing as money anymore. Right? So just add a few zeros. Technically, I can't answer the question because I'm just not educated enough to, to in that field to know how they do it. And the very fact they can do it is exactly what's led to every what is known as fiat currency in history eventually collapsing. Because, you know, a fiat currency is one that you believe in just because you do. So it's not backed by an asset. You know, our currency used to be backed by gold. When the currency was backed by a precious metal, you couldn't do that. You, you had to have an amount of gold and the pound note, 50 pound note, dollar, whatever it is, corresponded with the amount of gold that, that was held in, in the bank in your name. Correct. And, and in, interestingly, the pound was gold backed, but originally the pound wasn't gold backed because just for fun, the pound is a pound because it was a pound of silver. It represented a pound of silver, right? Whereas the dollar, the lure, was of gold. The dollar was always gold backed. And we, I don't know when we went to, to gold backing, but when we came off the gold standard, and most currencies came off the gold standard, they're not backed by anything other than the confidence in the economy of the country that supports it. That's it. It doesn't mean anything. It's got no real value. It's just what we use to trade, yep. to exchange our value with each other. Yep. It's, and it, even that's interesting. You know, okay, we're now, now into the nature of currency, but it is part of, I suppose, the inflation topic. But you know, people talk about cryptocurrency and say they have no, there's nothing to them, there's nothing behind them. True. What's behind sterling? Mm. There's nothing actually apart from you could say, well, there's a whole country behind sterling. Well, there is, yeah, yeah, and and how well is that asset being managed? You know, and that, of course, is exactly what happens when the currency declines in value, is because people are, oh, well, here's a great example: the Swiss franc which is horrifically strong, has weakened recently. Wonder why? Probably because the Swiss banking story has been shown to have a few cracks in it. That reputation has been somewhat tarnished. All of a sudden, actually, the Swiss currency starts to weaken a bit because, oh, hang on a minute, thinks everybody, is that is that economy as strong as we think it is? Suddenly, the, the probity and the reputation and everything that we have for that economy is maybe not quite as good as we thought it was. So now the currency starts to weaken, right? Because that currency is only based on the reputation of, of the economy. It means nothing other than that. And, how, and hence, they can print money. The more money you print, the chances are actually your currency will go down in value. You know, if you had a gold mine in your garden, it was the only one in the world, the more gold you produce, the less each ounce will be worth. Do I have a clue how they do it and and, and the thoughts and the formulas? And no. So gut feel says, I'm not sure that they necessarily know as much as I think they know, but I know I don't know. But the point being, the money is used then for trading of services or value in exchange of value which could once upon a time have been a cow so because you're trading one cow today for 50 sheep what we're describing with inflation is those 50 sheep might well have gone up so much that i now need to pay you two cows for my 50 sheep is that yeah, correct that's exactly right and the sumerians invented coinage 
well, I think it's about 4,000 years ago because exactly that. So how can we tr- how can we create something that it, so we can easily equate two cows and 50 sheep, right? So they actually came up with tokens, token of exchange, whereby so many tokens would equate to two cows and, so, and the same number of tokens at that point would equate to 50 sheep, right? And And then, yeah, absolutely right. So hang on. What we've been doing is making more and more tokens. Mm. So now actually that's four cows and a hundred sheep, right? But but what is money? I mean, we're gonna now digress into what is money. And for most of us, money is a a medium of exchange and and or a store of value. It's not a very good store of value though, is it? Because the last thing we need in an inflationary time is money in the bank going down in value. Mm. Right. But to most of us, it's a medium of exchange. Because how do you take physiotherapy services and spend them in Sainsbury's? You know, you can't say, well, I've got a bag of shopping and now I owe you an hour's treatment. Well, who? <laughs> when? So without it, we'd be pretty well stuck. I did hear a physio once, and she must have been in New Zealand, who traded her services for a sheep, for a lamb, to put in her freezer. See? Well, and that's the interesting thing, because does it come back? Does barter come back? Does barter come back? I mean, I, you know, this is becoming a wide-ranging discussion, but, you know, there is a, there appears to be, I can't say there is, there appears to be concerted effort to remove cash from our lives. I'm not a fan of that effort. Cash is the only way we have a private transaction, which far be it for me to say that would be a reason for an authority to want to remove it. But I personally believe if you take cash away, people will go back to barter. They'd be like, you know, well, obviously not in Sainsbury's, but for more personal services, you know, I'll I'll build a wall for you if you come and do this. And we'll go back 4,000 years, basically, to a position where we all try and set off and then there'll be clubs will come up and, and guess what will happen? The club will have a token or something. And, oh, well, you've got... 47 club tokens because you built a wall but because i built someone a model over there i've got some tokens and i can say suddenly we will come up with an alternative alternate currency in like communities i reckon or they're called crypto but that again the, the the there appears to be a very significant effort to remove the idea of crypto from the face of the earth at the moment there's a farm shop nearby that will mm-hmm. take your surplus homegrown vegetables, will take your surplus cabbages, and in return, you get a value of whatever yep. from the farm shop, so you can trade your surplus cabbages for somebody else's surplus broad beans. How do they value it? I don't know. I will tell you when I've taken some surplus cabbages, if the slugs don't eat them all in the summer, <laughs> I will find well, it out. It'd be interesting, because I look at... So this, should you put a solar panel on your roof? Well, there's an argument. We could have an entire debate about should you put a solar panel or several on your roof, all right? And we were looking at, at doing this, and there's lots of pros and cons. The trouble is we're paying 30p a unit for electricity, and they would like to give us five for what we feed in. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. That's... That's not really how it should work, is it? Because I should be getting credit for really at the same, for it to be worth it to me. So my cabbage needs to be worth roughly what it costs me to buy a cabbage. 
So that'll be an, an interesting thing to see. But it is, it shows you there is an immediate, real, sort of present formulation of a barter system outside of, of the currency system. We then go, if we then go to a central bank digital currency, everyone will do it. Everyone will do it because it'll be like one goes, they all go. Australia's and stand looking to be the first to go. I didn't mean that. I mean, everybody will do little barter groups. Yeah. Because it'll be known. You're not going to know everything that I'm doing, nor should you know everything that I'm doing. Yeah. You don't need Mr. Global to know every dozen eggs you buy or whatever. Or, Or tell you whether you can or can't buy them actually but then how a central bank digital currency impacts inflation i have no idea and then but we need to think about how do we how do we respond to an inflationary period and part of me would say try not to put your prices up but no one's going to be that altruistic because as i said before if we all refused it would dampen it down immediately don't hold cash so there's an interesting one, right? There's a problem for a bank because actually, go and buy a house, go and buy an asset, go and buy something that's going to go up in value, even if it's slowly. Don't hold cash or don't hold more cash than you know you need for a bit of sense and, and security because it is going down in value really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So people are trying to trying to sort of market cash ISIS and oh it's great it's a four percent amazing you get four percent now that's fantastic well given that inflation is at ten percent you're losing value at six percent oh and they'll tax you on the four so that's nice so so you're being taxed on the four so let's say you're actually getting three right so you're now really losing value at seven percent and most people miss that so let's stop building up cash reserves necessarily and and do something with it that protects that against this erosion of price rise and that also puts pressure back on the banks if cash isn't being stored in the bank if you're buying your own assets and removing cash from the banks the banks then have to respond to absolutely and that is a liquidity risk ish because of course it's gone from one bank to another bank Mm -hmm. all the digits have moved from one computer to another computer that's the bit that i can't quite get my head around anymore it's just you know where's the money well there isn't any yeah. digits you know it's like haven't we already got a digital currency because i can't see any real money anywhere but that's another topic but so how do we respond as a business how do we how do we you know here's an example rents have gone up a lot partly because of rising interest rates, partly because of rising utility bills, if the landlord's paying utility bills, but also partly as a reduction in supply because of some other interesting decisions taken by our lords and masters, right? So, you know, we rent rooms in London and we could theoretically charge more for them than we charge, as in we need to. Because, in fact, we haven't stood still. However, although we have actually put them up, there's a ceiling there where the poor poor people who are renting those rooms, they can't just, they can't just keep adding and adding and adding and adding to their rent. The same would be true of, of your people's customers. 
you may decide, well, there's been 10% inflation, therefore I'm putting up my hourly rate, but your customers are suffering from inflation. They can't necessarily wear that. And then you've lost all of it. So, so I think there's a there is a there is actually a good business reason, as opposed to my perfect world perspective, for people to try really hard to dampen down this need to increase price. And part of that is just turning the news off so that you're not responding from a position of fear. You're being able to keep more perspective as you analyze the health of your business. And part of that might be your product offering. So this is a marvelous opportunity to talk about products and customer profitability. So if you've got something that's very low margin, better to do less of that than to put the price up on everything else. Mm. Is that way you're still serving your customer unless the very low margin is something you have to do for the customer. It's so vital that it, and I'm completely shooting for the hip and I can't think of any examples whatsoever. But I know that in your business, and here's an interesting point, when I talk about putting up rates to your client, I'm talking about your client, me, an individual. Your client, an insurance company, may be different. So perhaps what we're really saying is this is a moment to become very, very targeted about where you're charging your rate and where you're spending your time. Mm. Because to fulfill that that individual, the individual customer's need, then your people need to be much smarter, actually, about not spending time, their valuable time, wasting profit on unprofitable customers on low value work or unprofitable work yeah i don't know to what extent this is fair but if there are other sources of income that can be added in like i don't feel allowed to do this but if you're selling accessories and ointments or, or whatever i don't know what, at what point you have to be a pharmacist or not a pharmacist but you know what i mean where where those things are possible i think that that becomes add some revenue from another source rather than necessarily just price. People knee-jerk into, I've got to put my rates up. Well, okay, do we, though? Do we? Do we get smarter about where we're we're charging, where we're spending our time? You know, your your delegate who's who's the mobile physio, his routing and scheduling needs to become much smarter. Yeah, so really tight on your postcode, you're not wasting time, you're not wasting petrol. Yeah. very compact yeah is there room for a little price rise yes there is but but make it a little price rise right so that people again they're more likely to accept it listen inflation's 10 percent. i've managed to hold my prices up rise to three people are probably going oh actually that's fair kind of thing so what is it you know adversity drives cr- creativity let's be creative more than Let's just charge people more money. Yeah. Because we will lose customers. So what you're describing there, if we is look at how you can cut the fat from your from your business and strengthen the muscle and being creative in ideas about how you can do that. So that you're coming from a very uh, positive, responsive position rather than a fearful, reactive position. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Use it to improve the breed, I suppose. You know, say what what shouldn't we really not have been doing anyway? And now let's really not do it. Or you go or you do the, the, the right thing, your least profitable business. How do you make it profitable? Right? Maybe do less of it. So you, you replace it with more profitable business. But the first step is, and I am on your insurance companies at the moment, the first step is you pick up the phone to the insurance company. I can't do this like for this anymore. You know, it's just not worth it. You know, people are really, 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 really reluctant to ever risk what they see as their biggest customer. And, you know, we've had this conversation before. The number of times, you know, a business looks at its business, business, biggest customer and realizes it's making no money on it. And so you get rid of the customer and you make more money. Well, go figure, you know, or at least give yourself the, you know, the space to make some more money by replacing that with better business. So, Richard, when people are trying to figure this out, it's becoming very clear how important it is that practice owners really understand their numbers and understand their profit margins on all the different services and practitioners and contracts mm -hmm. that they have. Sometimes they'll think, oh, I'll go and talk to my accountant. Is the accountant the right person to help them figure out this granularity of where the profit margins lie in their practice? No. Why is that? Because many people, many practice owners assume as soon as there's a number involved, it's got to mean an accountant. Well, that's right. And and I can't say no, I can't say no, none of them, because that, that would be grossly unfair. But most accountants are, are, are interested in your accounts, funnily enough. And that is a backward looking tool. And that is that is that the, their main job is to help you with your statutory filings and and making sure that you're doing what you need to do and, you know, your VAT, your tax and whatever, and that's a valuable and correct job. Not that many accountants, in my experience, are inter really interested in how your business works. And that's not necessarily to castigate them, but do they have the time? Do they have the time? Do they have the experience? Do they have the expertise? You, we know how professional services firms work. You know, the lowest common denominator does the work. And then it, it floats up through through levels of review that you pay for. Yeah, you're not going to have a partner in an accounting company drilling into the de detail of your business. And arguably, the junior that's doing the work doesn't have the experience to ask the questions they should be asking. Which leads on to where do you get that help? Well, obviously, I'm, I'm likely to say that is the kind of help that I offer people. The problem is. And one of my own marketing challenges is to create that at a lower price point for smaller businesses, because that's, that, that's one of my difficulties. It's, but I don't actually believe that businesses can't do an awful lot of this for themselves. Yeah. That's the real truth of it, that the self-empowerment. I mean, let's just do a marketing piece for Microsoft here. You know, I, I, I don't get any commission from Microsoft. but most of us are probably paying for Office 365, most of us. And if you're not, you should be, okay? And it's the most astonishing value, I think, on the face of the planet, because you pay. I pay, I don't know what I pay, I pay about 13 quid a month or something for this full suite of unbelievably powerful software. And then you go onto the University of YouTube and you spend a few hours and you, you really can make, I, I'm doing myself out of business here, but you really can find a lot of help on how to 
access data, manipulate data, and do things with it, right? Now, that's really easy for me to say because I've been doing it for much longer than I'm prepared to confess. But I don't think it's that hard if people are interested enough in their business. It's their business. They should be interested enough. If you're not interested, I mean, let's be realistic. If you're not interested in the numbers being generated by your business, I don't necessarily mean the accounts numbers, but we measure everything in numbers. Everything. That's how we keep score. We've had this before. That's how we keep score. And if if that doesn't interest you, well, you're not actually then that interested in your business because how else are you going to keep score, right? How else do you tell yourself what's going on? So a lot of it, I think, can be self-served. People get frightened by numbers, and yet everyone can find an address. Everyone can find a house in a road. Everyone can use a telephone and, and remember a phone number. And 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 it's 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 a limiting belief. It's it's just not true. No. You know, I would say to to everybody, go and take a basic Excel course on YouTube or on one of these training places. I should be saying I've written one and here's the link. And it's only $9.99. I should be, but I haven't and it isn't. And then here's not the <laughs> link. And sort of perhaps sit there and say, well, what do I want to know? Be curious to begin with rather than fearful of the numbers and fearful of the outputs. It sure. might not be right. Your equations might not be right to begin with, but just start with the curiosity of trying to have a look and trying what to What is it that I really want to know? I don't think I've ever worked with a client who hasn't had questions for me so you know this well you you've been through this but but you know one of the arcs for me is is a client might be a little bit difficult to engage at the very beginning but that's because they don't know what they can have mm. so they don't ask because they don't think they can have it and they're the riding a horse without realizing they can have a car correct and then once they start to the moment there starts to be any form of sort of modelling around. I, I've never had a client who doesn't then shoot off with, oh, hang on a minute, well, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? Because they know their business way better than I know their business. Can we find, though, can we just, can we just, is a common phrase, you know. So your guys and girls, they know, if they really stop and think about it, they know what they don't know. They know what they want to know. And I would say to people, you actually can find most of it out yourself mm. right now that might be a bit a bit hopeful but the point I'm being sure. that the accountant rarely can help you with this because the accountant is your agent between you and hmrc to ensure that you're compliant with your tax commitments and they're looking retrospectively at what has gone on in the past and when you get the report from them, it's usually 18 months down the line or something like that and what you're needing to know right now is real-time information and being able to forecast going forwards right. And you can start off, like we're saying, with Excel and using your own curiosity and some YouTube videos. That's absolutely right. And and let's be let's be kind to the accountants, right? We don't want to pay them the thousands and thousands of pounds they would want to charge for the amount of time we've just talked about to really drill in and investigate your business. So what we all do when we go to the accountants is, is we sort of say, well, can you do my year end, my corporation tax? Let's assume we're incorporated at this point. 
So my year-end accounts, my corporation tax, and, and my VAT, and be there for me if I have a question kind of thing. And can I pay you 500 quid a year for that? Well, they've got two hours to do all that. So realistically, that's not their business to dive in and, and really get to grips with, with what you do in, in a business, right? It's not, it's not what they're there to do. Now, that does raise the question, well, has anybody written something for physiotherapists that, you know, is a system we can use which tracks everything we need to track? And the answer is probably no, right? But maybe yes. I don't know. You know better than I. Even if they have, again, I'd still say to everybody, go and do a little bit of self-teaching because the chances are they won't do it quite how you wanted to do it. But it is important, I think, for people to drill in and then maybe be seeking out, if they're going to have to seek out help, seek it out in a perhaps quite an educated way. I'm, I'm really trying to find out my customer profitability, you know. The key thing I found is what they know in terms of can they extract from their clinic data the number of individuals they have seen over a period of time or can they only extract the number of appointments they've seen over a period of time and if they can only extract the number of appointments they've done over a period of time that's usually can be categorized by time and they can still usually calculate the average number of sessions that or a range of number of sessions in which people are seen so you can still work out but it's not quite so direct as if you could know exactly how many individuals you'd seen over a period of time. But you can certainly work it out by contract type, usually as well in terms of the insurance companies, because I've done it numerous times. And uh, most people probably terrify themselves with the with the answer. Yeah. Because people do. But yeah. It is a terrifying thing. But so the answer digress, is usually wildly. that third party is in that the answer is usually the primary answer, or the first step usually lies in that low value either the social contracts they have perhaps if they're in a system where the state funds some of the care or with the insurance contracts that's usually where the problem lies and you have no control over or very little control over how that pricing is set there is some control because I certainly have written letters before saying as of the first of December these are the new prices you're in or you're out uh, and some will drop off, but you have to be, you have to know your numbers to make making that decision so obvious that it's a no brainer. So you write that letter posting it, knowing that you're going to lose some of those contracts. But equally, the ones you're going to retain are the ones that are going to pay the right price. It is interesting. I mean, we've digressed wildly, but let's come back to it. You know, a response and a response to an inflationary environment is to get really, really good at knowing where you're making your money. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. You know, it, and and understand that, understand where in your you know where you can afford to mop up some extra cost and where it's where it's really damaging. People right. are still buying. I think it's getting out of this habit of fear and recognizing people are still buying. If you have a crook back tomorrow, if you get out of bed and can't move tomorrow, you're calling somebody to help you. If you can't, you know, the well, let's be, shoulder in the morning, he's calling. Let's be clear: we don't want to trade on price. Mm. We, we want to trade on quality. However, if by being so efficient, we don't have to put our prices up as much as anybody else, 
and remain profitable. When I talk about don't trade on price, don't trade on price at the expense of profit, right? But if we can be more efficient and more profitable and therefore not charge quite as much as anybody else, then suddenly rather than we put our prices up and lost volume, we may improve our efficiency and gain volume. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's how to then perhaps look at an inflationary environment as an opportunity. Because hang on, I can differentiate myself from the competition, but I can only do that by knowing everything I possibly can about where I do and don't make money, doing more of what makes money. And it's no different if you decided you're going to go and run a marathon. You need to know your times, you need to know your split times, you need to know your target finish time, you need to know, or you want to know what mile you're at. It's no different. So I think... Clinicians get really, really frightened about numbers, but many of them have done sporting events and many of them, when they've competed, will have known their numbers as a representation of their performance. And it's exactly the same. Those numbers are just a representation of your performance. And if we keep this concept of it's about cutting the fat in your business so that you can go faster and increasing the muscle so you're more efficient with how you're operating and how you're running, you can do it. You're on familiar ground. Absolutely. I I believe everybody can do it. They're just they're just. Okay, there's a technical thing about maybe doing the programming part of, of spreadsheets, but we're not going that that far right now. But the, the ability of understanding the performance of your business driven by the measurements within it, as I say, everybody can do it. They just they just your example is perfect. I mean, most people will they'll have a calorie counter or they'll have a step tracker or they'll have a this or they'll have that. They're using data and they're they're improving and changing things based on that data it's just we then go business and we go accounts so there's someone called an accountant out there and I'm not an accountant therefore I can't do it well no that's just not right yeah you can there is elements of technical silos you can't do but in terms of taking your split times in your business if we put it that way of course you can do it and I think that's just that is just a a belief thing so believe it Thank you very much. We're going to wrap up there. All right. Thanks, <laughs> final okay. words. I believe you can do it. Thank you very much for joining me today, Richard. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, visit www.marklandmethod.com forward slash grow. There you'll find access to the free Profit Without Pills program. You'll also have opportunity to register for the free web class, the triage call, and you'll be able to sign up for the weekly email newsletter where you get hints and tips on how to create a profitable and sustainable practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can get access to influential people and speakers and bring them here so that they can share their lessons with you.